So um, I think some of you are going to watch this later. We're recording. We'll put it up later. So whenever you watch this, it's great to have you join us. Wonderful. So um, just to begin with an announcement of my own quickly, and uh, just let me put that there. And so basically, um, Dwayne has been with us for seven years. He reminded me in the first service. And uh, he has been our operations manager. He's been such a great blessing to us. Over the summer, like I said, I feel like there are a number of areas where Dwayne is actually taking the church forward in this time that he's been with us. But we always knew he wouldn't be doing this job in his old age. <laughs> it was a, there was a season. And so uh, Dwayne and Jess, they have got an exciting adventure that lies ahead of them. They're going to be taking over the treetop toy company in Scott Bramore. How's that, eh? So there we go. It is exciting. And so, yeah, this is something that, uh, like we were saying, so now if you need toys, uh, you know where to go. Eh? You can go and support them, the honeys down there. So they're not leaving the church, to be clear, but Dwayne will be finishing up in his position as operations manager at the end of next month. And then from the 1st of October, we are excited to announce that Janine is going to be joining us as the new operations manager for the church. All right, so that's in the week. Tavi at the office, so this is more than just like a secretarial position. Obviously, it is a leadership position, so we um, really felt we were looking for someone. I mean, Janine's on the eldership team. She's had managerial positions before in her life, has the skills and experience that we need. And uh, like I said this morning, for the sake of transparency, just to be clear, Leon wasn't part of the uh, decision to employ his wife here at the church. He had to step away from that, and the rest of the eldership team ran with that and made the decision employers. So just for the sake of transparency, it's good to say that. All right, so it's not goodbye and thanks to Dwayne and welcome Janine today. Just giving you a heads up. You know our news spreads anyway, so we thought we'll just put it out there too, hopefully ahead of the vine to some degree. All right, so here we go. Last Sunday, Grant kicked off our new series on the names of God, and he looked at, as a reminder, it was Elohim, Kodeshim, the Holy God, and Jehovah, Mkodesh, the Lord who sanctifies Today I'm going to look at another two names, and we're going to see they're actually related, and uh, let's just dive right in. Okay, so here's the first one, uh, which is apparently pronounced El-Roi, El-Roi, okay, El-Roi, all right? So before I tell you what the name means, let's give some background first and go and look at where we find it in Scripture. So remember that God had promised Abraham that through his wife Sarah, he would give a child, and this child would, um, through this child, there would be countless Descendants, you know, too, too numerous to even count. But of course, as we know the story, God seemed to be taking his time. So Abraham and Sarah do what a lot of us do. We think we'll help God out of it. And so um, Sarah gave her Egyptian uh, maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham as, as a wife, basically. They did those kind of things in those times. So they, in other words, any children born through the maidservant would then be seen as Sarah's children, all right? So Hagar did fall pregnant, but after falling pregnant, she began to treat her mistress with contempt. Sarah was obviously unhappy, complained to Abraham, and the long story short is that uh, Sarah treated Hagar very harshly, and she actually drove her away, and so Hagar was on the run, heading back, it seems, to Egypt. So the angel of the Lord found her beside a spring of water on the way back to Egypt, and uh, she told the angel she was running away. And uh, this is where we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 16, verses 9 to 11, and then 13 to 14. Let's have a look. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. 
You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name, verse 13, she gave this name uh, to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. All right. This is just a remarkable story for so many reasons because you have an Egyptian, a servant girl, whose name, Hagar, actually sounds like the word for fugitive. So she's living up to her name. She's on the run. She's going back to Egypt when the angel of the Lord finds her and gives her this promise of descendants too numerous to count. It sounds a lot like the the covenantal kind of promise that God gave Abraham. It's really remarkable. Um, No other woman in the book of Genesis gets a promise directly from God like this. And uh, the boy would be named Ishmael, which means God has heard. God has heard because the Lord said that he had heard her cries, her cries of misery. But that's not all. As John Hartley notes, he says, In a surprising move, unparalleled in Scripture, Hagar, a woman, gave a name to God. You are the God who sees me. I mean, how amazing is that? I just think about it. You've got an Egyptian servant girl on the run. In other words, someone who didn't have great standing in the eyes of the world at that time, all right? But yet she gives God this name, Elroy, the God who sees me. Apparently no other woman in the Bible gave God a name, all right? And uh, that's why the well was called, the meaning of the well is, well of the living one who sees me. Isn't that amazing, eh? It's so, so incredible. And this is the only place in the Bible where you find Elroy. Isn't that amazing too? I, I think it really is. And the Lord must have clearly been okay with Hagar, with, with the name that she gave him, because it's there, it's in Scripture. He didn't change it. And of course, friends, we know that he really is the God who sees us. Isn't that so? We know that. And there are so many Scriptures that, that confirm this for us. Let's look at a few examples. Psalm 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Hebrews 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This is always one of my favorites through the years. 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Psalm 121. We, We know the opening words well. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? But after two verses, the whole focus shifts in terms of who's actually doing the looking and the watching. Uh, Look at verses 3 to 8. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep or slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep watch. Oh, sorry, will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Five times in those six verses, we see God watch and watches. Okay, He's watching over us. So the Bible confirms, Hagar was right. He really is El Roy. He is the God who sees us. He sees you. He sees me. He sees everything. All right. Now we can say that there's a past, a present, and a future aspect to this name of God. So if we think of the past, how far back would we rewind? Yesterday, last week, last month, last year? No. To uh, the day we were born? Yes, to all of the above. Okay? For sure. But actually, we don't stop there. We've got to keep rewinding. We've got to go even further back than that. All right? So let's have a look at this in uh, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Isn't that amazing too? So there's God right there at the beginning, knitting us together in our mother's womb, seeing, seeing our unformed body. And yet, friends, we don't start the clock there either. We've got to go way back, even further beyond that, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 45 in the New Living Translation. We read, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. All right? So there we go. Long before he knit us together in our mother's womb, before he saw our unformed bodies, he chose us. Before we even set foot on planet Earth, before he even made planet Earth, God chose you, as Dwayne shared with us a couple of weeks back. He chose me. He decided in advance to adopt us, to bring us into his family. Now, some of you might have had some rough weeks. Some of us are going through great trials right now. But that's got to warm our hearts just a little bit. Amen? I mean, we can say wow to that. It's got to make you feel special that God chose you in advance. And he chose and decided to adopt you into his family through Jesus Christ our Lord. It really is staggering. So God seeing us goes way, way, way back. All right? Then there's a future aspect as well to God seeing us. And that we would relate to like this. We'd say, as Grant shared with us last week on Jehovah and Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies when God looks at us now, our position in Christ is that we're righteous already. Okay? Otherwise, we could never relate to God. We are holy in His sight. And yet, we are. There's a progressive thing. We are being made holy. We're being made to become who we really are as new creations in Christ. So this is a lifelong journey of growing in holiness, growing in righteousness. And as Grant reminded us, we're not perfect. We won't be perfect in this lifetime, but we're growing towards that. Okay? So there's the future aspect, and there's more that could be said on that too. But of course, then there's the present aspect. I'll give it a little, there we go. In this moment, as I clap my hands, God is seeing us right now. Every single one of us, he sees us in the moment too. He sees where we're at. But sometimes we're tempted to doubt that, aren't we? We go through some rough times where we tend to say, God, where are you? Are you even there? Can you see me? Can you see what I'm going through? Why don't you do something? All right, we wrestle with these questions. In a moment of great despair, Job asked God these questions, among others. Job 10 verse 4 the New Living Translation says, Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see things only as people see them? Okay? Job is basically saying to God, Are you limited? Can you only see things like people see? All right? Um, We know from the whole counsel of God's Word, obviously that's not the case. For instance, 1 Samuel 16 verse 9 reminds us that whilst man looks at outward appearances, God looks at the heart, doesn't he? I'm actually not wearing my glasses. I realize that after I've slept them about twice now. Might as well put them on. There we go. Oh, a whole new world. <laughs> so there we go. Take the mask off. Everything stays off. I can see. All right. There we go. So um, the point, friends, is that we, we can all go through these times wondering, where are you, God? You know, can you see me? But he very definitely does. And we, we're going to be taking that forward in a moment. This is where the story of the woman who called God, El Roy, should really, really encourage us. Because remember where she started and where she was going. Think about the, the kind of the progression. John Avery writes this. He says, Hagar lived on the edge of society, relationally and spiritually. She was an Egyptian minority in a Hebrew home and a marginalized servant. The surrogate pregnancy gave her a new status. So things were looking up for her when she fell pregnant. She was now Abraham's wife. But of course, 
things turned around quickly. And she, was, she wasn't innocent in all things. She treated her mistress with contempt. But Hagar turned, uh, Sarah turned on Hagar, treated her very harshly. No doubt Sarah probably also from the place of pain that she was in and not being able to fall pregnant herself, she just unleashed it on Hagar and sent her running and packing, okay? And Hagar must have felt as if her whole world had fallen apart. She probably felt as if there was no one looking out for her, no one there to rescue her. Not even her husband, Abraham, was going to intervene for her. So she decides to head back to her family in Egypt, who's some distance away. And um, this is the amazing thing, is that in the eyes of the world, like we said earlier, Hagar would have seemed very lowly, okay? Not too much going for her. And yet, God's eye was upon her. The angel of the Lord finds her in the, in the wilderness near that spring. He calls her by name. And he gives her, as he, as he sends her back again, he gives her these amazing promises, which like we said, sound like the kind of promises that Abraham got as a covenant partner with God. It really is incredible how the Lord really does reach out to her. It's a little wonder that she's almost amazed that he is the God who sees her. All right? And so this is the thing, friends. How much more can you and I, as children of God, how much more can we know that he sees us, that he, he knows and sees what we're going through? And as we're about to see in a moment, he takes it a step further than that as well. And I'd like to illustrate that for you. So picture the situation with me. Um, it's, it's looking like we're heading more and more towards a glorious day. But imagine you're sitting on one of our beautiful South Coast beaches, sun shining, beautiful. When you see someone being swept out to sea, they're caught in a rip current, and they are fighting the current. They're clear they're in trouble. They don't know what they're doing. They're flailing around. They need help. So you run over to the lifeguard. You say, hey, there, look, that person, they need help. And the lifeguard looks up and says, oh, yeah, I see them. Thanks. Eh? And then goes back to his phone, to the game or the text or whatever he's busy with on his phone. How would you feel about that? You'd be saying, well, it's great, Mr. Lifeguard, that you've seen them, but you need to dot, 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 do something. You've got to rescue them. You've got to help them, okay? And seeing them is not good enough. And so, friends, with God, we don't simply see God as someone who just sees us and then sits back, arms folded in heaven, kind of um, without any kind of passion, should we say, what do we put it, like passively, just watches us and doesn't really act or intervene. No, 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 he's the God who intervenes. He's the God who helps us. We're going to look at one of the ways that he does that with this next name. Let's have a look at it. There we go. Jehovah Jireh. That's one most of us are a bit more familiar with. Most, okay? and so, what does it mean? Jehovah Jireh? Our provider, yes. God will provide. So specifically there, it's the Lord will provide. All right? So let's go and have a look then too where we first find this name mentioned in Scripture. So we're staying in the book of Genesis. The stories move forward. Um, Abraham and Sarah have become parents at a very ripe old age, to put it mildly, and they've become parents of Isaac, the son God had promised them. And things look like they're going pretty well. In fact, around about the time we're going to read, Isaac was probably a teenager already, so it looks like things are going well. But then we read this, this incredible story. begins with these words, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 2. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. I mean, it must be one of those staggering starts. So for our sake, thankfully, the Lord makes clear this is a test. We know that that, um, Abraham is going to be tested. We also know from the whole counsel of God's word that God hated the pagan practice whereby they would sacrifice babies and children to their false gods and idols. So there was no ways that God would ever allow him to go through this. We know that. Abraham didn't, okay? And so, it's just an incredible thing. So anyway, 
We're going to jump into the story where Isaac is already on the altar that has been made, and Abraham is making ready to take his life. We're going to read from verses 10 to 14. Then he reached out to take his hand, his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. So those words underlined, that's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now, in a very real sense, we know God is Jehovah Jireh in our daily lives. As Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We rely on him on a daily basis for all that we need. Not only the food we eat, but for everything. He sustains us. So he is Jehovah Jireh. He wants us to rely on him in this way on a daily basis. But of course, Abraham needed more than daily bread on that day. Isn't that so? He needed a miracle. He needed someone who could be a substitute to take his son's place on the altar. All right, so let's, let's have a look at, just keep that in mind as we go forward. Tony Evans writes this. Trials are adverse circumstances that God introduces or allows in order to identify where we are spiritually and to prepare us for where he wants us to go. If you're alive, you cannot escape life's trials. You are either in a trial now, you've just come out of a trial, or you are getting ready to go into a trial. Trials are unavoidable realities of life. Okay, let's see who's doing cartwheels of joy around the auditorium after that quote, eh? Might not excite us, but it's true, friends. We know that to be true, that, that trials are such a big part of our lives. They really, really are. We'd much rather avoid them altogether. And yet, in times of trial, friends, this is where we can discover God as Jehovah Jireh in such a special, special way. And we're going to look at that now. So let's have a look some more at the meaning of his name. So thanks, sure if we can have that next one. Now, Nathan Stone points out that in the Hebrew Bible, usually when you come across the word Jireh, it's translated as see or appear. So why was it translated as provide in Genesis 22, verse 14? I'm glad you asked the question. Let's have a look. Anne Spangler writes this. She says, the Hebrew verb ra, from which yara, I think that's, this is the Hebrew version of yara, yara is derived, means to see. In this case, it is translated as provide. Since God sees the future, as well as the past and the present, he is able to anticipate and provide for what is needed. Interestingly, the English word provision is made up of two Latin words that mean to see beforehand. When you pray to Yahweh, Yara, you are praying to the God who sees the situation beforehand and is able to provide for your needs. How amazing is that? Okay. Amen. Praise God. So, Elroy was the name that I had on my heart to share today, but I also felt to, to just share on Jehovah Jireh. I just felt to share on that with this one. It was only when I started preparing that I found there's actually a link. They related. Isn't God amazing in how he leads us? Eh? So, John Avery writes this. He says, Yahweh, Yara, does not highlight Abraham's faith trial or his victory. It commemorates God's provision. The, na the name hides a play on words in the original language. It expresses that the Lord sees and he will provide. God's prevision leads to his provision. A similar play on words in English is God will see to it. This name is related to El Roy, the name revealed to Hagar, but with the added emphasis that the all-seeing God meets our desperate needs. I love it. Don't you? He doesn't just see us, 
the all-seeing God meets our desperate needs. That is part of his provision to us. He isn't the lifeguard sitting back on his phone just watching us drown in the sea of life. No, he's the God who actively intervenes in our lives. He gets involved, and we're going to see how he works even ahead of time. Amen. Let's give him a hand. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So this, I love this statement. I've just put it up for you. Thank you. God's prevision leads to his provision. And we experience this, friends, in life's greatest trials and storms. So let me share a little testimony. Now, I want to give you some detail to show how God, how sometimes how far in advance God can actually work. So years ago after we were married, we bought our first, our first little place, little townhouse. I think it was around over then. I needed insurance. Took out life insurance, had critical illness cover and uh, income protection as well. And then some years later, after we moved here, I, I had a new broker, and he made some changes. Same policy, but made some changes. All right. So when I was in hospital for those 18 days, one of the giants, especially in that unrest week, but one of the giants I found myself facing was the giant of finances, or I should say potentially the lack thereof, okay? Because when I shared with the, the specialist, I said, well, this is my oncology cover we're discussing. I told her the amount under the medical aid. Her response was... Oh, you really want to increase that? It's like, great, thank you. That's great news to hear halfway through, yeah? Anyway, um, and then in terms of the critical illness cover, it looked like the type of cancer that I was busy fighting actually wasn't covered under the policy. That's what it looked like, okay? So you can imagine what it was like just, I could almost hear the mocking voice in me saying, why are you even bothering with medical treatment? You're going to run out of money, you know, it's going to bomb. And I had this like fight and this wrestle going on, and I was like trying to think, come up with my own plans, what do I do? And in the midst of all this, I just sense God saying, just hand this over. Just give this to me and trust me, okay? I will favor you. So eventually, after much struggle and wrestling, I did. I said, God, I'm just giving this to you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you to come through. So you can listen to this. So the type of lymphoma that I'm fighting actually wasn't covered under the original policy. If you look at the wording, it wasn't listed there, okay? But when the second guy got involved, when he made some changes, he expanded it so that actually this type of cancer is now covered under the amended critical illness policy. But that's not all, okay? Last year, when the first wave of COVID-19 hit us, what turned out to be the first wave, you know, I mean, we'd never been in a place like this before. I mean, everything was shutting down, businesses closing, schools, etc. I said to Lori, we probably need to look at cutting back on our expenses. Not that we were exactly living, you know, living large and extravagantly anyway, but one of the things I looked at was the insurance. And so I phoned my broker and I said, I want to keep the life insurance in place. I wanted it and we needed it for the bond anyway, but I want to cancel the critical illness, and the income protection, okay? And he kind of kept quiet for a bit, and he said, sorry, Greg, you can't do that. He said, it's one policy, so either you cancel everything or you keep it all in place. And I was like, oh, no, I really, I wasn't terribly excited off that phone call, I'll be honest. I was again thinking about, oh, do this, do that, but it went off my radar. I believe in God. It just went right off my radar. I forgot about it. Guess who's now saying, thank you, Lord, that I didn't cancel the policy. It's like, so here's the thing. God did favor us, and that's, he provided through this. We got an insurance payout. And so now when medical bills come in, as they are, which medical aid aren't covering, there is provision to be able to pay for it. So can you see, friends, God is good. Now, there's such a mystery to this. Now, I've got to be very clear on this. I wanted to give you the detail to show how far in advance God can work sometimes when it comes to things like provision. It can go back to previous generations, for that matter, even. But I want to say this. I have no doubt whatsoever that sickness is from hell, not from heaven. Okay, I'm not for a second saying that God made me sick. Not at all. I know that is not the case. God can heal us in an instant. And already I've seen evidence of his healing grace in my body, the things that God has already done that have helped on this fight. Okay? So there is, like I say, such a mystery to this. God can protect us from stuff. I think only in heaven will we see the full measure of what God has done to deliver us from harm and evil. 
But as I stand here right now, it looks like this road of chemotherapy is one that I have to journey down, okay? And even so, in the midst of all of this, it's been so amazing to see how God has made provision, something that's really helped us as a family in a time where we really need it. You get the picture. There's a mystery to this. I'm not even pretending to fully explain it, but I can see God's goodness and His provision because of His prevision, because He knew what would be coming, all right? One of the scriptures, I think Leon shared this verse with me as well, and I've had one or two others, and it's been a verse on my heart too. It's in Psalm 23, verse 5, the New Living Translation. It reads like this. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. I just, I love that, friends. In the midst of our great fights and struggles and the storms of life, our enemies can still be there. And yet, God prepares this feast for us, this table where our cup can overflow with blessings. It's just the most incredible and beautiful picture. Jehovah Jireh is more than simply the provider of our daily bread. As important as that is, our daily needs and the way he sustains us, of course that's important. But friends, he's so much more than that as Jehovah Jireh. His prevision means he can provide for us. And I tell you, it's especially in some of our great battles and struggles of life that we really see God coming through in this way. And I want to tell you today that it's more than money and stuff. As much as we need that, yes, but it's way more than that. Jesus said he is the bread of life, and the greatest provision that God gives us is actually of himself. He is our greatest treasure. And in this time, friends, the spiritual blessings that I've experienced, I tell you, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify them, really. The refining work that God has done in me, that thing like David writes about God strengthening our arms for battle, God has done that. The joy of the Lord, the peace of God. Uh, you can see his intervention, his guidance, his fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, I could carry on and on and on. The point is, friends, the greatest provision of all is ultimately of God himself, that we experience these incredible blessings in Christ in the midst of the storm. It just is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. In so many ways, he comes through and he provides for us. So what does our response need to be to really know as Jehovah Jireh? If we go back to the story, imagine if Abraham had had this in verse 2, he hears God give him this command, and he said, not a chance. Not a chance. I'm not killing the son you gave me. If I kill him, Sarah will kill me. Not a chance, God. Okay? We don't have to imagine too long because obviously that's not how the story goes. In fact, Abraham, as incredibly, phenomenally difficult as must have been, he seems to have obeyed instantly. Okay? And gone through and trusted God. And so, friends, we need to decide who or what we will believe. Can I actually have that next slide? Thank you. Will, who will you believe and come into agreement with? On the one hand, are you going to agree with the lies of the enemy? Are you going to agree with the, like the, the bad news, the negative reports that, come, that the world bombards us with? When it comes to us, would you believe your own negative thoughts, your own fearful thoughts? Would you come into agreement with those worst case scenarios you imagine in your mind? Okay? So we've got this side. On the other side, we've got God. Will you believe God? Who, that he is who he says he is, and will you believe the promises of God, those promises he gives you, and especially the promises that God reveals in his word. Who are you going to believe, and who are you going to come into agreement with? This is such a key, critical question, friends. We've got to settle this thing. We really do need to. I, I had to as well, as I said, through this whole time and kind of what I've been through. So I want to urge you today to believe God and his word. Decide that you will put your trust in him and that you will obey him. And I want to say this to you today, just... Um, as, a, as a last little thing, just to encourage you. I've had people saying to me, you're such a hero, like making me out to be some hero of the faith. Let me just shoot that down. I'm definitely not a hero, any kind of hero of faith. I've had sometimes, I mean, we sang that one song today, some mountaintop times 
where I've never probably been on such mountain peaks of faith. I have, I have. But then there have been other days, friends, down in the valley, where you get bad news or more bad news that just hammers your faith and where you find yourself very afraid and uh, where, again, it's, it's not called a fight of faith for nothing, friends, where, again, you've got to decide over again, God, I will trust you, I will trust you, I will trust you. You put your trust in Him and you believe His promises to you. You stand on His word to you. And you do that sometimes on a daily basis. It's literally a daily thing of the starting again. Today, God, I will trust you. And then you see him come through. He's not only the God who sees us. He sees what's coming our way. And he provides for us in whatever we need. Our deepest needs, friends. And that's not a narrow. That's the widest, broadest thing. And in this room today, we're going through different things. We have different, deepest needs scattered across the room. God has already made provision for that. I believe that because his word says so. Because that's who he is, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord. He doesn't provide just daily bread, but provides in advance that which we will need to come through the trials victoriously in him. Okay? With all my heart, I urge you today to trust him and to obey him. Amen. I want to pray with you. Just as we do, I want to have the scripture ready to, and I'd like to read to you. I'll keep this just for a moment. So just, just as we close our eyes and we focus on him, you know, God called on Abraham to make that sacrifice on Mount Moriah, the sacrifice that Abraham wouldn't have to go through with as God experienced his obedience and his reverence, his fear of the Lord, that he was willing to obey. And you know that sometime later, um, that, that place became the center for worship under the old covenant because Solomon built the temple there and animal sacrifices were made more or less around that place. And then, of course, as you jump forward, you find Jesus crucified not too far from where those animal sacrifices were taking place, crucified on Golgotha. And there's a real sense, friends, that, that Abraham showed that he was willing to give up. He was willing to give up, willing to sacrifice his, his son, whom he loved. But there was a substitute provided, that which Abraham most needed, Jehovah Jireh provided. There was a ram caught in a thicket who took Isaac's place on the altar. But of course, for Jesus, there could be no substitute because he himself was the substitute for all mankind. He was the one who had to bear our sins upon him, to pay the price in full, to take our punishment on his body, to shed his blood for us. And just as we recognize that again today, Lord, we do so with such humble hearts, just with such, just in awe of the extent of your provision to us. In Romans 8 verse 32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't hold back your one and only son from us. You gave Jesus for us that we could have life and everything else that is part of the new covenant and the eternity that we can look forward to with you. You know, just if anyone does get to watch this online, I had this on my heart and I'm so hoping it does still manage to get out because I've, I've had the story of Zacchaeus on my heart quite a bit lately. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector hated by his own people but when Jesus was passing through, he wanted to get a look. He wanted to see Jesus. But because he was short, he climbed a tree and probably thought he'd be quite hidden up there. He'd be able to get a look and satisfy his curiosity. But the Word of God makes clear that as Jesus was passing by, he looks up. He spots Zacchaeus and he calls him out by name. Now I want to say perhaps you do get to watch this online at some stage. And it's, it kind of feels like there's, there's that nice sort of, sort of anonymity. You know, you can kind of look on. Nobody's really watching. You can have a look. You can see. But know today that Jesus sees you. And I feel today like the Lord is calling people out. I felt that in the earlier service. And just to extend that again today, and I hope 
if you're watching this online, uh, then I know this is meant for you. I really believe it, that God is calling you out. Hagar, if you remember the story, was a woman on the run, a woman who in the eyes of the world didn't seem to have much going for her. She was running away, and yet God called out to her. He, he followed her. He found her. He called her by name, called her back to the place where she was supposed to be, called her back to the serving she was supposed to be part of, and then gave her amazing promises as well. And today I feel like God calling some people back. And maybe for some, it's not that you've totally turned your back on God, but just you, you'll know if it's you. There's a sense that maybe you've been running from some stuff in God. And today, the Father wants you back in His house, back in the place where you are wholeheartedly serving His Son, knowing that you don't go back to a wicked, harsh, so to speak, um, master, but you come to a Lord and King who has already not held back anything as He gave His life for you. So Lord, today we do. We want to hear your call. We want to respond to you. Thank you that you are the one who chose us before you even made the earth. You chose us and decided that we would be adopted into your family. And today, Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We confess that we've sinned against you, God. We confess that. And today, we recognize that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And so would you join me? If this is you today, would you join me in saying, Jesus, I call on your name to save me. I confess that I've sinned against you, God, and I ask today that you would forgive me for all of my sin. I repent. I stop running. I turn back to the Father's house. I come to you today, and I offer my whole life to you, even as you gave your life for me, Jesus. Thank you that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I am adopted into your family, and that you open your word to me, your living word, I pray in Jesus' name. I am yours, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. If you do pray that, love it if you would let someone know, a Christian friend, family member, maybe two or three, who can support and encourage you as you journey forward. Thank you, Lord. And then I want to pray too, just for, just I think for most of us. I wouldn't be surprised if most of us in this room, and, and most who get to see this at some stage, hopefully online, I, I want to say most of us, if you remember Tony Evans' quote, most of us are in a trial, we've just come through something, or we're about to go through something, but most of us, friends, are facing something in our lives right now. And I hope that you are encouraged today to trust Jehovah Jireh. Not to believe and come into agreement with the negative reports of the world, the lies of the enemy, or your own fearful thoughts and worst-case scenarios, but instead to trust God, to choose to trust God, to believe who He is, and to believe His Word and His promises that He gives to you. Would you choose today to trust Him and to know that as you do so, he has already made, his prevision means he has already made provision for you of your deepest needs in the storm that you're facing right now. I want to say that even your best efforts wouldn't come close to the provision that can come from heaven. And I pray that now, Lord, for everyone today, as we choose to believe in you, thank you that we wouldn't be tempted. We know how often we are, like Abraham and Sarah were, to come up with our own plans. Sometimes, Lord, it feels like you're tearing. Sometimes it feels like there's this delay. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you doing something quicker? I pray for grace to be patient, and to wait on you, to keep trusting, even if the storm seems to be getting heavier and stronger, that we would keep on trusting you, keep on believing you, keep on standing on the promises of your word. And I thank you, God, that we will see your provision. We will experience you as Jehovah Jireh in the most incredible ways as we put our trust in you. That's what we do right now. And I pray for anyone here today, Lord, who is feeding, like their faith is shaking, anyone who who just experiences this fight of faith of just how hard it can be sometimes, the temptation to take control of things once again, try and be the masters of our own destiny. Father, again today, we lay that down before you. We surrender control. 
And we say we will trust in you alone. We believe that you are who you say you are and that you are faithful to your word and to the promises you make us. We, we stand on that today. We trust you, and now we pray for grace to obey you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I just want to pray here today for everyone. I thank you that we will see the breakthroughs we are contending for. We will, as we trust you, not find our faith being in vain. You are faithful even when we sometimes, Lord, are, are, are faithless. When we are battling and struggling, you remain ever faithful. You are the same yesterday, today, and, and forever, Lord. And we just thank you that uh, as we see you coming through, for Abraham, for Hagar, in these most incredible ways, we have such confidence, Lord, knowing that as God's children, you will come through for us as only you can. We worship you today. Our Roy, the God who sees us, and who doesn't only see us, but as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The Lord will provide. We declare that today and believe it with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. And together we said, amen and amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Bless you guys. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Um, sorry, just as we do land. Trying to check the time. Okay, cool, man. At least we don't have to rush you out just yet. But just to say that, um, sorry, I have had people asking me. That's why I'm telling you. So I am going in this afternoon again. Um, they admit you and they get you ready for uh, the chemo, which runs Monday to Wednesday, and then I'll probably come home Thursday morning. So the last run went very well. They had upped the doses and that, so it should be the same now again. But I really am praying that my body will take it by God's grace, and that uh, yeah, actually round four will go even better by the grace of God than round three. So thank you. Thank you again for your prayers, and I'll see you soon. Good. Bless you guys. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen. Thank you.